Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? Today we are here talking about time travel, which is fitting because this episode was supposed to come out in May, uh, and it will be hitting you early June. Uh, just life is busy, things happen, and you know, this is a free podcast and none of you pay us yet. So <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you get it when you get it. Before we get all the way into things, um, first, once again, there's not like one single atrocity anymore that I can single out in our country. So dedicating or donating money to gun violence, trans rights, racial injustice, women's rights, abortion, whatever, find somewhere to donate to send your money to. If you do, send us the receipt uh, at WTHITFpod on Twitter. And we will take a suggestion um, for an upcoming episode. Uh, we'll work with you on it. If you give us like one movie, we'll build something around that with a couple other movies or a specific topic. You know, we're, we're flexible on it. Uh, but as we get into the rest of our episode first, I'm Ty. I'm Jeff. And I'm Riley. Awesome. So before we talk about the movies and the topic of the time travel genre in general, uh, first we're going to talk about a little bit about what we have been watching lately, and it has been a hot minute. So we might have a few things, but we can uh, we can keep it fairly short. But you know, there there are some big ones that definitely should be discussed. Who wants to go first? I think you guys have to hit us with a, a quick review of Top Gun. I have not yes. yet seen Maverick in theaters yet. Ty, go ahead. You're fresh out of the theater. Yeah, at so time of recording. I watched. Uh, yeah, so I I got out of uh, Top Gun about an hour ago. Uh, Catherine and I also rewatched the original this morning. So going fresh from one into the other was fantastic. So say what you will about Tom Cruise, Hollywood's most charismatic psychopath. Uh, take all of that out of the equation, and folks, there is nothing this man loves more than making movies. <laughs> it's true, Riley. Did you get did you get the special message from Tom Cruise at the beginning of your movie? I did, right after the the Nicole Kidman special message. Oh wow! <laughs> see, we didn't see it at, at an AMC, so I can only imagine how that played. I was thinking about that in the theater. So yeah, Jeff, a little bit on that. Uh, before the movie rolls, you get a special message from Tom Cruise talking about, you know, the efforts of everyone involved, how thankful everyone in the production is that people are seeing this in the theater on the big screen and preserving the theater and the movie going experience. And it like the, it is a noble cause that he has just dedicated himself fully to like Tom Cruise is essentially a D and D paladin with Oath of Movies. <laughs> what I love about Top Gun Maverick is, you know, Tom Cruise as, you know, the Tom Cruise character has evolved so much since the original that mm -hmm. he had somehow he somehow found a way to make Maverick run in this movie. <laughs> I know. I thought about that too. I noticed it when it happened. I'm like, they specifically included, well, I guess you get two good ones. I won't talk about one towards the end, but I noticed it when, uh, when they're playing their, uh, uh, what is it? Dogfight football. Yeah. Yeah. And he just gets a breakaway run and I'm like, there it is. Tom Cruise still and then gets the other, to run. The other one. Yeah. It was quite a, 
bit of a bigger moment, but yeah, I just yeah got a chuckle out of him finding a way to fit that in there. So, and I texted Riley about this. There, so there's a lot I could say about the movie overall. Like, I've I've gotten very tired of you know using nostalgia as a crutch within movies, within shows, whatever. Create something that stands on its own, but it's done so well in Maverick because it's not just presented to the audience like, Hey, remember this, but it is Tom Cruise or Maverick actually, you know, reminiscing on the things from the first Top Gun, these other pieces of his life. And it feels so natural. And then a little bit of spoiler talk, skip ahead like one minute. If you don't want to hear any of this. So now, okay. Um, the I was absolutely floored, and I texted Riley uh, because Val Kilmer does show back up, um, and they write in his cancer diagnosis into the story. Yeah, it was oh really gosh. great. Um, very moving, and it is it's written around the actual diagnosis, like mm-hmm. the actual symptoms and presentation. Because now Iceman, it's incredibly painful for him to talk. He mostly types to communicate. Um, and it, you know, same type of cancer that Val Kilmer has, and it's very, very moving. Yeah, um, really, really emotional. And I mean, I don't expect Val to be in much else, so it's really kind of a very fitting swan song for him, like a send off kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I cried throughout that whole sequence. It's very, very beautiful and very touching. That's cool. And then the uh, and so people are probably back with us now. The other stuff, uh, really great dynamic between um, between Maverick and Rooster, and Rooster being Goose's son. Uh, and I won't get much into that, but it it's written so well. There is a lot of really meaningful pathos, and it isn't totally dependent on Rooster blaming Maverick for Goose's death, it's much more nuanced than that, and I really I really liked their approach to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then on top of, you know, on top of all that, you have just this balls-to-the-wall action throughout. Yeah. Um, I I was holding my breath through the final act, like both Catherine and I were, and I looked oh, at yeah. her after, like, I finally exhaled, and she's like, what? And I'm like, because she thought I was looking at her laughing, and I looked at her also exhaling <laughs> because we, it was, it's so, it's the mark of a great action movie when you have a franchise character, like a massive, not franchise because Top Gun was only one movie before this, but I would say Maverick is a very iconic character, very ingrained in, you know, 80s American cinema. And, you know, it's still like, Throughout all of it, the stakes are very high. It doesn't feel low stakes. It feels like things could go wrong at any moment. And I really, really, it's just, the Macquarie touch is a very, uh, very noticeable. Um, even though he only did producing and some writing. Uh, do you know who directed this one, Jeff? I don't. So it, uh, let me pull up his name real quick. I got it right here. Perfect. Well, crap! I gotta remember how to pronounce this. Um, uh, go. It's. Uh, I, I got it. Uh-huh. Joseph Kaczynski. Uh, and do you know what else? So he's directed. Uh, 
directed some things. Uh, he a movie called Only the Brave, which I believe is around oh. California wildfire firefighters, uh, which I have heard is very good. But also a little movie called Tron Legacy. Oh shit! Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> um, dude, dude can really just make a lot out of some really grand like he can make very grand shots like knows how to frame a shot and really get that sweeping wide kind of breathtaking um breathtaking view it's very present in the uh the opening scene of maverick like it's one of those where i just got just because of how beautiful the shots were i got very emotional it's one of those kind of movies so it's really really good stuff yeah, that that'll be a must buy for me. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it's up there with the other dad movies of my <laughs> that that sit at the top of my rankings. Oh, I mean, it's it's gonna be an all time dad movie. My dad saw it before I did, and he texted me to tell me he cried right after he got out. He he like had to text me about the movie, so I was very pumped to see it. Riley. What else have you been watching? Uh, what else? What else? Uh, I don't think we've talked about this on air. Uh, Doctor Strange. We have not, because I have also watched Doctor the Strange. The Sam Raimi original. It, and his touch is very, very present. And Jeff, you have seen this one, right? I have, yes. Um, I... I um, I mean, there's really not a lot we can say that hasn't been discussed about this movie already. Um, I like Top. I like Top Gun way more. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a more cohesive movie for but sure. But I will say, with Doctor Strange, I think I had more fun watching that movie as a Raimi fan than probably most MCU fans enjoyed it as a Marvel movie. Uh, big agree on that. I think that's kind of the common consensus that a lot of people who are MCU diehards were not super high on it, but Raimi fans really enjoyed it. Because um, as as we've talked, like I still enjoy, uh, I still enjoy some Marvel movies, but I have gotten very burnt out on them. And Sam, or I almost just called it Sam Raimi, but Doctor Strange Two was the most fun I've had with a Marvel movie in a long time. I thought so. I agree with you guys that the the Raimi touches in that movie were great. I thought the especially like um, when Wanda is like running through like the basement or whatever is like doing the chase. Yeah, that <laughs> was a very fun Raimi esque. You know what I mean? Like I thought it was that was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I agree with you that I, it, as a movie, to me it felt extremely uneven. It seemed like not exactly sure of what it was trying to do for me the first half is very flat yeah so i think i think for me i i'm with you guys i like it more as a raimi movie and in my head i almost treat it as a different thing than maybe what we're used to from the mcu i think i gave it Mm -hmm. three out of five so like just above kind of middling for me and that's mostly Mm -hmm. just because the highs and the lows are so 
drastic mm-hmm. from each other. And that's that's about I, if I still rated stuff, I would probably land right around there. Like on balance, it's middling, but the Raimi stuff is really great. Yeah, and then everything else is just kind of the generic MCU stuff. But I. The Raimi elements are great. I really, I knew we would be getting them when uh, not Shumagorath, whatever they decide to rename it for whatever reason. Um, but the tentacle monster, he pops the eyeball out with a nice yeah. suction cup sound. Yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. I that's exactly what we're getting, yeah. and even had the optic nerve still attached, which is a very Raimi thing. I also really liked that uh, Zombie Strange's makeup was just uh, just the Dark Man makeup. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that they went practical with it, though. Yeah, uh, and I mean that's you know you wouldn't have that without Raimi directly pushing for it. I think right. I and that's why I and that so again this is not hating on the MCU. In, as a concept or whatever, but the uh, its biggest fault is that it flattens out so many of these directors' stylistic hallmarks. And I would really love if Doctor Strange 2 kind of marked an inflection point where we started to get more of that. Because, I mean, you can, you can look back and, like, Guardians does feel like a James Gunn movie, and uh, Ragnarok feels like a Taika Waititi movie. And... Um, Iron Man 3 very much feels like a Shane Black movie. So I I wish we would get more more of those personal touches still in the MCU. I think you could see them maybe starting to experiment with movies more because now that they've got the shows and the movies, the shows to me feel very like those feel very tightly controlled. Mm-hmm. In, you know what I mean? In a way that the movies you know, kind of used to be. And so I could see them che- like changing and having the movies be more singular pieces that still connect in order to sort of like bring back people into the fold a little bit until they like get to the point where they start introducing whatever the, you know, five movie thread, you know what I mean, that they're trying right. to get together right. is going to be. Like, I Which think also seems to- very... Uh- it just seems very unfocused right now. I mean, I think I think there's potential, right? I mean, they're they're going towards one of my favorite concepts, one of my right. favorite mm-hmm. runs in Marvel, but there's a lot that they're introducing now that does not contain a lot of the characters that you would think would be a part of it. Yeah. And that's what makes me worry a little. But and man, I just you know what's coming. I don't want John Krasinski as Reed Richards. <laughs> I just don't. And, like, had he had any sort of emotion or any, like, any screen presence at all, I might have changed my mind. But he, like, he was so flat and felt like he was just reading lines off of a cue card, which Maybe very that's- possibly may have been doing. Maybe that version of the multiverse of Reed sucks, and there's yeah. just a you know, he's on the council of Reeds. He's yes, like a, he's the shitty Reed version. So. <laughs> this is a bad Reed. Why do you call him that? Uh, no reason. <laughs> It'll be. I mean, like I said, Fantastic Four. 
has become was not necessarily one of my favorites, but has become. And I like Hickman's Fantastic Four so much. Right. So it'll and be interesting. You know, I also they do they do hint at. Um, sorry, yeah, we'll we'll wrap this up, but uh, they also hinted at Franklin in Doctor Strange too, which I would be very very interested to see Franklin come into the picture. Yeah. Easily the most important part of any Fantastic Four, modern Fantastic Four run. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so one one last movie I want to talk about before we get actually get into talking about things, but I watched The Sadness on Shudder, which is a uh, Taiwanese horror flick. Uh, it is very mean, very angry, and it is not a zombie movie, but it is more akin to a... Uh, kind of a rage virus type thing uh, but everybody affected can still talk they still maintain faculties like that it's just if you're familiar with the uh, Garth Ennis comic series Crossed uh, it is very much the same concept and it you know people just lose all inhibitions uh, once they're infected and start doing just the most heinous things imaginable and that's very much the concept of this movie. It's mean. It's angry. It, ve- it's the of any movie to come out in the past two years that has referenced a pandemic and a pandemic response. This one has been the most poignant and not felt just dumb or annoying or what have you. It's very smartly written, in my opinion. It's a very bleak and. I think a lot of people will gravitate to it because it's like, oh, man, this really shocking movie. It's the Martyrs thing all over again where people are like, oh, man, Martyrs is so extreme. I'm like, yeah, but also there's something really beautiful within this movie, within the story. Um, And, I mean, beautiful is the wrong word, but it's very well written and it is a very smart and sharp story. So I recommend it. It is fairly extreme. Uh, so know that going in before you watch it, uh, listener. But it is I do really enjoy that movie. And it is an early front runner for my favorite movie of the year. Right on. Nice. I really do mean to, to check it out. It is one mm-hmm. of those movies that you have to like, you know, get yourself in the right mindset for. You, you have to like be in the right headspace for. Ten o'clock on a Tuesday type of movie I'm not sure about, so Yeah. All right, do you guys want to squeeze anything else in before we start talking about time travel? Or uh, you might have already talked about it. Uh, other than and The only other thing is I think we have like an episode and a half left of Stranger Things. Yeah, I've four. got about 20 minutes left. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the, the stuff that I like, I really love, and the stuff that I don't like makes me almost turn it off entirely yeah sounds like the, par for the course a little bit yeah the the russia storyline takes so much time to get going for as far as i can tell very little payoff and then the early uh high school bully stuff is just awful i i think my biggest issue so far with this season is they've obviously taken this huge gap in real time. Mm-hmm. And everyone's grown Mike up. Mike looks like handsome Squidward. So, they well, everyone's grown up, but they still write them as if they're 
you know, as if they haven't as, aged yeah. a day. And it, it would have been so much better if they had just added an anime time skip into the story and just move everybody up a little bit. If they yeah, if they said all these kids were, you know, seniors or whatever, I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's that it's supposed you to be You can make up reasons for Yeah, you're writing the show, man. Like you can make up whatever reason right. for people to still be in Hawkins that you want. Like <laughs> But yeah. Well, and then, you know, I I will never forgive Millie Bobby Brown for being in Godzilla. So just being in the movie yeah so she just doesn't sit right with me yeah i mean that was that's a tough tough role to get over just that movie just everyone involved kind of leaves you with a bad taste except for ken watanabe right he can do no wrong in my eyes (laughs) let's talk about time travel or We've already talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna oh, just make man. that joke every the time. The entire time. Um, this or is I a... only made it once. Make <laughs> this it. Is my, damn, my, uh, my audacity travels time all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it pauses really does. time. It. <laughs> yeah, I I need to uninstall the clock stoppers uh, add-on from Audacity. <laughs> Oh, Jeff didn't cut. have Nickelodeon as a child, so I don't think he knows clock stoppers. Only through friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is an episode I was super pumped for. Um, I think behind heist movies, time travel might be one of my favorite like subgenres, um, only because it covers so many other like types of movies. Like you can do a hard sci-fi, you can do time travel action. You can have it be a plot device in an otherwise not related type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is something I've been looking forward to for, for a while. I think I've watched... You can make a uh, trilogy spanning coming of age movie with just incredibly charming people. Mm-hmm. You can do um, super low budget. You can do super high concept. There's lots of things that you can do with a time travel movie. Um before we kind of dive in, I think we should probably define how we're talking about time travel on this episode. So there's obviously the classic time travel where there is a character at the beginning of the movie or subset of characters that then either travels to the future or travels to the past, takes some kind of action, and then there is an effect um, in the present. Um, and so that's that's the classic definition. For this episode, we are also including a couple other definitions. So we're including um, more of the Groundhog Day-esque time travel, where you live the same day over and over. We're also... Um, the the roguelite style of uh, roguelite, time yes, travel. Correct. Correct. Where you just keep your memories and items and levels. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have the time-related film. So this is a type of film where um, the concept of time and the concept of reality is discussed heavily and is part of the plot. So this is also where it kind of branches a little bit into multiverse, which is very popular at the moment. We obviously talked about Doctor Strange a little bit at the beginning of this Mm -hmm. episode, um, but you see multiverse everywhere. You see it in Rick and Morty. You see it in... 
um, Everything Everywhere at Once is all at once was a very popular multiverse movie at the you know the beginning of this year, um, and we'll also talk about it as it relates to one of our key movies today. So we're kind of really loosely defining time travel as more time related, depending on um, how the movie is structured. Um, that sounds talk- fantastic. Go ahead, Ty. I I wanted to jump in a little bit uh, with so the two the two types of of time travel are the and I am not the person qualified to like I am not a theoretical physicist but you know I believe it kind of breaks down into the linear versus cyclical pattern of time travel and the cyclical one is one I am less familiar with but I specifically wanted to mention <clears throat> linear because that is that is your traditional time travel movie that you mentioned Jeff where you go back to a fixed point and then uh, alter the coming events from that point and then continue living on or return to your timeline. And then that also kind of goes hand in hand with the multiverse thing. Right. And I think that's, you know, as we talk about, you know, both the linear way of experiencing time and then cyclical, you've also kind of got pockets of those, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've kind of got these ideas about what time is and these movies get very philosophical about how we as humans experience time and and how either we are bound by it or we exceed beyond it. So you've kind of got these ideas of um, time is unchangeable, right? Mm-hmm. Where if I go back into the past and I do something different than I would have done previously, that when I come back to the present that there are no changes because time is has already experienced mm-hmm. what I would have changed, right? So the, the example I have for this, that's not one of the moves we're talking about, but something that I think will be uh, well understood by our audience is this is the that's so Raven theory, <laughs> where even if you can, and this is, this is really more like future looking, but it's the same if you go back in time, where it doesn't matter if you know what the future is going to be, the future is fixed, you cannot change it. Any action you take to try to change it will just allow that outcome to still happen. The Anakin right? Skywalker. Yes. Anakin Skywalker, another great example. And I think a similar uh, a similar concept, because I forget if... Uh, and uh, it's been out for like four, five, six years, so I feel fine talking about this. But Arrival, uh, while she yep. does not travel through time, she then... And that one might almost be closer to cyclical. She gains full knowledge and experiences all parts of her life, both past and future, kind of simultaneously. Right. And um, the and that kind of makes it so that she cannot things cannot change, but she has full knowledge of what is coming. Right. And that's and another kind of lives it in that moment. That that idea of time is not changeable is sort of gives time this overarching power that we cannot break beyond right you cannot change it it doesn't matter what you do yes you have free will to make decisions but because time is already set and what is in the future and what is in the past has already happened right Mm -hmm. there is nothing you can really do to change the structure of what's going to happen um there's also an element of time travel in some of these movies 
or they disagree and they say actually you can change time and from there there's really two branches of thought from there you can if you say well you can change time then you can say well there's a single timeline and I can impact that timeline if I go back this is the classic back to the future concept Mm -hmm. right butterfly effect butterfly Mm -hmm. effect exactly anything I do when I go back has an impact Um, I might die my parents might not meet you know what I mean anything that happens um, but there's I might still play is... a really awesome guitar solo at a school dance that does not <laughs> land at all. You know, normal My dad stuff. might be a pervert. My mom tries to have sex with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> classic Norm- classic Norm- American family stuff. mess around. Right. Um, so I think that's the, Also the, uh, the hot tub time machine effect. Correct. Yep. Uh, which v- came very close to supplanting time crimes as my pick uh, in this episode. <laughs> yep, yep. Time crime is a great example of uh, if you go back and change something, it has already happened, and you mm-hmm. have already experienced the effects of that change no matter what. Um, the, the idea of whether or not time is linear, whether or not you can change it, and the two branches that I talked about... If you say, well, I can go back, I can change time, it'll have an effect on the future, that's one view of a changeable timeline. There is also the multiverse theory, which is, again, kind of branches. We keep going down these branches, right? You have the multiverse Mm -hmm. theory, which is essentially saying, if I go back in time and I make a different decision, right, whether it's far back in time or whether it's near back in time, if I make a decision, essentially two universes spring mm-hmm. from that decision. And there is something, there's a universe where I said yes, and there's a universe where I said no, mm-hmm. right? There is also the the classic, not the classic, the very popular multiverse now, which is not necessarily even exactly about time travel. It's just about seeing your other selves, bringing in those things, and whatever you do mm-hmm. in a different multiverse won't impact your own so they kind of get treated almost like playgrounds where you can go do whatever you want because it won't impact your own reality so there's all these different flavors of of Mm -hmm. movie that we've got going on i i do think that a lot of the multiverse stuff does play by rules more similar to time travel than something that would kind of fit more traditionally into the multiverse theory because the The multiverse theory, like, doesn't really... I don't know. It's complex and, you know, you wouldn't... Nothing has really captured the infinite number of possibilities present within the multiverse theory. And so you have still very concrete things. I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, but it does seem like it plays a little bit more with the true infinity of possibilities of um, these realities and these every single possible variation of existence. Uh, But so it has a very fixed in concrete players, just players in different roles. Um, People, you know, your life is the same except for one minor thing or all these things. It it plays much more in the time travel sandbox, I feel like, than truly in the multiverse sandbox, which is why I 
which is why I think we'll talk about later, but coherence, I think, still really fits the discussion here because of a lot of those concepts. Another thing that I think is interesting, just as, a again, a flavor of this, is this idea that even though there are all these infinite universes, that their timelines all still roughly match up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I go into a multiverse tomorrow and I go find myself, it is also going to be Monday in that multiverse. And that is something that I think has been a fairly... We talk about like these hard sci-fi rules... That does seem to be a fairly hard sci-fi rule when it comes to multiverses, is even though they're all these different realities, they're all experiencing time, like, in the same speed, it's all on the same day, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing about that that indicates, if I go to another multiverse, that it's actually the 1600s, right? It's also 2022 in the other multiverse. And then there's also the, you know... Even though you are entering another timeline within this multiverse, technically you are not entering that timeline because your entry into this alternate timeline creates a new branch that is its own separate branch of the timeline within the multiverse theory. So you can never truly enter another one. You can create a new converging timeline But the original timeline, if you're playing by hard sci-fi rules, it still continues on unaltered because there is the universe in which you did not enter. So that one still continues, and when you enter, you enact influence on it and create a new branch. I think that's something that does not get discussed or landed in each version of this i think a Mm -hmm. lot of the pop culture references for for multiverse suggest that whatever your universe you're going to where you're an elephant right that there's you're going into that universe right Mm -hmm. and you're messing around with the elephant universe that you're not creating a second version even though that's the way the multiverse theory Mm -hmm. works is that any decision any action creates branching timelines so, if your brain is not turned amuck by us talking through all the <laughs> philosophical stuff that we've talked about, we can get into some of the, um, you know, plot construction and plot armor that comes with dealing with a time travel movie. Ty brought up an interesting point I think that I want you to talk about, which is the entrance into time travel and whether or not it is intentional or not and how mm-hmm. that changes the structure of a movie. So, with... With intentional time travel, or even a lot of unintentional time travel movies, I'll phrase it differently, a good 95% of time travel stories at their core, you know, there are many variations, but at their core are somebody attempting to change something, whether that is something that has already happened and they're attempting to prevent a tragedy within their past, or change something that is potentially coming in the future uh, and attempting to change it, possibly making it worse, whatever, what have you. The, I mean, because time travel rarely exists in the sense of, hey, isn't this thing cool? And let's just observe it and live through it. There's always the conflict that is something has now either 
me unintentionally getting involved, something has now gone wrong that needs to be fixed, or it's something has gone wrong or something is going to go wrong and I need to interfere either before it happens or go back to before when it happened so that I can stop it and prevent it from occurring. So the one example I could think of that is not like this is Primer, which is truly just guys messing around with time travel and getting in way over their heads. And then not even trying to change anything, but just trying to get things straightened out, like sorted out, like, okay, this is when this happens and... And I guess even Primer does it a little bit when they're trying to tie up some of the loose ends. But it, it is less less than others. Right, right. And I think when you were talking about the, the motivations of, of wanting to go back and change something, you know, then you get all these. Um, one of my favorite things, and we'll talk about it when we talk about time crimes, is the idea of if you go back to a time where you exist, right? So you're not, it's not back to the future where you're going back before you were ever born. If you go back to the near future where you exist, then you have the problem of meeting yourself. Mm -hmm. And there are differing viewpoints as to whether or not that will fuck up the world or whether or not it'll just be weird, right? Like those (laughs) are the two, those are the two flavors. Like it's either like you can't meet yourself. Like it's a, it's a, uh, time space paradox right and it's gonna like break the universe and the other ones are like you're gonna get really fucking freaked out if you see yourself but it's probably yeah. gonna be fine um, and then there are the ones that in in reality their rules are oh it would be weird but nothing happens right. but then they are misled by somebody else within the story that tells them oh yeah no this would be disastrous if you met yourself right. but knowingly they they are fully aware the person giving that information that oh yeah nothing's gonna happen yeah that's another thing that we haven't really talked about is the knowledgeable time traveler right and Mm -hmm. that sometimes serves as a guide right like oh i've time traveled a bunch of times and and they're the the shaman or guide or whatever they take that role in these movies we are almost always following a protagonist that it has never happened to before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like you very and rarely, that is, unless it's a sequel, you very rarely yes. come into a movie where someone has done it before. And the sequel note is what I wanted to bring it up because in the first Back to the Future, Doc Brown is, it, it is all theoretical at this point, but Doc Brown is the expert within the universe on time travel. He understands the science. It should work if he does everything right. He knows everything that is going on. And then Back to the Future Part 2 Marty is the one, when he goes back to 1955, Marty has full knowledge of time travel and has done it and knows some of the ins and outs of what that will do. And he is then trying to guide a totally unknowledgeable Doc Brown, who then later becomes the expert within the universe on it. And then you get into some of that recursion and cyclical uh, Mm -hmm. history there. Uh, so yeah, very fun stuff. I, I love, I love the concept. I love when those things get played with. Yeah, there's, it's such a rich genre, right? Like there's so many people are like, Oh, time travel. Like they're just going to go back in the past, but there's so many different versions of what you can do. And it really feels like 
there's maybe been an explosion in time travel movies. Mm, there's probably a lot in like the 80s and 90s, but it feels like the high-minded time travel stuff where they're mm-hmm. like, let's do something different. Than that was all classic. early aughts. Yeah, there's a lot of like coherence is 2013, primers 2004, you've got Looper in 2012, mm-hmm. Interstellar uh, Time Crimes is 2007. Yeah, Interstellar's in here as well. Um, then you've you've also got like we're just talking about movies. There's a ton of time travel in shows, right? Like they, mm-hmm. I feel like that gets brought up, especially in like long running serial shows. I mean, Futurama is a great example. Futurama, right? Yeah, it becomes a significant plot point that Fry is his own grandfather through time travel. <laughs> yeah, so there's just a lot of like there's just a lot that you can do with it, and it's it's pretty cool to see. Um. Any other thoughts I mean, you, on... And so you actually... Sorry, I'm just going to kind of jump ahead because you, you have a topic, you know, time travel within pop culture and kind of on that same note, talking about shows and things like that, the, the idea of the time travel concept and the way it can fit into everything is so present, like, because I'm thinking there's an episode of SpongeBob that yeah. heavily features time travel. There's, you know, everything... Uh, and like you were saying, Jeff, and that's kind of why I jumped to this, you know, shows tend to play so much in the time travel sandbox. I mean, for a lot of shows, like, they do a time travel episode. And it is now, right. like, they're playing in that genre a little bit more, very much specifically, when it's not the rest of their narrative. There's the very a... First, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a, you know, Family Guy, they have quite a few episodes. They start to really rely, not rely, but... They do a lot of time travel stuff over the course of a couple seasons, and they kind. Of, I think at some point they start to build on each other, and they get to a point where they kind of break the fourth wall, and they're like, "This is too messy. <laughs> the time tra- the the time machine's done." Yeah. Something um, I just thought of, and it is. It is more multiverse than it is time travel, but I think it still belongs in the conversation is Fringe. Because you have, it is multiverse, but you are pulling people out of their universe and replacing them in another universe at a very specific point in time. And then that is what modifies that universe going forward. So it is not specific time travel, but you are traveling through time to a specific point within a universe. Um, and it's, I love Fringe. I love Fringe so dearly. Um, and it's, and th- now thinking about it, there is a lot of past and future stuff that they do within Fringe too. So I think it does cover some time travel. Power Rangers Time Force. Yeah. Whole series of Power Rangers based on time travel. Mm-hmm. We haven't even talked about, like, one of the biggest franchises that's based on time travel, which is Terminator. You and oh, yeah. Um, which is came out around the same... When was uh, the first Terminator? First Terminator was late 70s, wasn't it? 79? It's got to be right there. It's either really late 70s or it's really early 1980s, for sure. I went back and looked, because I was trying to figure out what's kind of the first big pop culture reference to time travel and as soon as i saw it i felt a little stupid because i'm like of course 84 Um, oh 84 and then 91 
the first real mainstream version of time travel is H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Yes, and that's been, what I was going to bring up. Right. Um, however, um, really close... Oh, actually, that's probably like the, the most famous one. That was 1895. However, he also wrote a time travel movie called The Chronic Argonauts in 1888. And Mark Twain wrote a satire called A Connecticut Yankee. Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which has been adapted like a million times. That right? is so. Yeah, that is that the basis. Do you think that is probably kind of the seminal text for the man out of time archetype of I think time so. travel? I think so. Of, of a of a historical time period, because the time like the time machine is like a very different, mm-hmm. like hugely. But I'm thinking like uh, the I. This is I can't believe that this is the one I'm jumping to, but the Black Knight. Yeah, no, no, the Black Knight is where I went to. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a kid in King Arthur's Court. You kid know, in like, King Arthur's Court. Yeah. Uh, so like all that. Bill stuff, and Ted is very much that as well. Right, and it, it almost gets to this point of like it's funny that it's came from Mark Twain because it almost gets into like I feel like that premise of a modern kid or a modern person getting stuck in a not so long ago time period is like feels very like magic school bus to mm-hmm. me like seems like the kind of thing that people would make like oh people love historical fiction how can we also do a comedy that's historical fi-? you know what i mean like they're just adapting that same story because it's got such it's so relatable right. to what they're talking about oh wow i just thought of, okay so there was a kind of in the magic treehouse vein um right around like same age level of reading was the uh, time travel trio was a uh, specifically you know three kids who ended up traveling through time and it was it was much more of like a comedy type of uh type of kids book than it was like the children's fantasy like magic treehouse but yeah time travel trio i read i had so many of those books Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I know what you're talking about. Time travel trio. Do you know what he's? Have you read that, Riley? Did you read no, that as a kid? No, uh-uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Riley, it, Jerry's still out. Oh no, it's time warp trio. That's it. Yeah, and so they started late '80s. Um, you had Knights of the Kitchen Table, which is you know, Kid in King Arthur's Court. Not so Jolly Roger, the good, the bad, and the goofy. Your mother was a Neanderthal, 2095. Tut, tut, summer reading is killing me. It's all Greek to me. I mean, they go on and on. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, the, sorry, this one is great. Viking it and liking it. That's a great title. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, time travel is within everything. Right. Like, so so much in pop culture so at the risk of you know just driving it into the ground over and over let's go ahead and move into our reviews and our discussions on the three movies that we selected tonight and so those movies are time crimes edge of tomorrow or live die repeat and coherence so the first one is my pick and that is time crimes and that one is the more traditional time travel story So a brief, brief description of time crimes. 
a man and his wife move into a new house in the Spanish countryside and he sees somebody in the forest uh, when they are settling in uh, and then suddenly there is a, someone chasing them with a completely bandage wrapped face and kind of terrorizing them. He runs from them, gets sent back in time, and then attempts to fix, well, he assumes that getting him the original self into the time machine will fix everything and then he can ride it out for, from there. He continues to try and fix things or solve things or, you know, he exacts influence on the, uh, on the timeline. Things change, but, you know, they were things that were also inevitable, um, ultimately leading to multiple crossing timelines of this one day that they have moved into the house and him just trying to get on the other side of it. I think what's incredible about this one is that one, the original name for this is because it's in Spanish. If you didn't, if you mm-hmm. haven't seen this film, the original name for this is Los Cronocrimenes, uh, which is a great name. But then to translate that back in English and have it be Time Crimes is fucking fantastic. Incredible. Um, but I think what I really like about this one is th- this is so so built in to someone who has never heard of time travel has never seen a show about time travel, has no concept for how it could possibly work. And so rather than trying to listen to like the the scientist who's like an expert about, you know, how it might work and how things will happen, like he's just like, no, like I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it. Like I'm the real yeah. one. He's a fake. I'm I can go figure this out. And it's so it's like this more than more than almost any other like time travel movie is really about the hubris of thinking you understand it and getting fucked by the idea that you don't. Um, Which ultimately leads to the reveal, not necessarily reveal, but the guy sending him through the time machine is also a novice to this, and he was not going to be part of the scientific team that does finally turn the machine on and conduct their experiments he's just a guy dicking around with a time machine and also messes things up (laughs) also did you guys know that this one is getting a sequel is it really yeah um it's actually supposed to oh it might have come out already uh crimes of the future (laughs) god damn it (laughs) just took the bait Uh, we haven't recorded long enough i'm out on bits (laughs) out of touch on picking up on bits i hate the pause in between when you said it to when i got it and i was like oh i was like that's pretty similar to that other film oh fuck okay yeah all right (laughs) i i just thought of that when you were talking about the name (laughs) yeah because i was thinking about what it might a literal translation translation might be um since obviously it was not the title was not created with the intention of it being a rhyming English phrase, um, so I wondered if it was it translated more to like crimes of the present if taken literally, and then I was like, oh, crimes of the future, and the prequel times of future or crimes of futures past. <laughs> That's right. Charles. Um. So, Riley, I'm kind of interested to see, like, what what did you think about this one? Um, in terms of time travel, I really enjoyed it. Um, I like that 
uh, I like that as we go, instead of us getting, uh, you know, multiple timelines, it's all on the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it's just piling on as we go. Um, Which I think is my favorite approach to time travel. Uh, it's what they do in Primer. It is also uh, somebody once, they made a chart and they counted out. Uh, well, one, if you've never looked at the Primer chart, oh, I highly recommend Googling it and looking it up. Uh, Vargas at Debates on Tap frequently talks about this one. There is a full diagram uh, depicting the timeline in Primer. Uh, but also someone made a similar chart for Back to the Future. And I believe it was that there were seven DeLoreans existing at once in one point <laughs> in the timeline. And it he so the best way to look at it is uh, Hector uh, or Hector is essentially the DeLorean in this movie <laughs> because he just stacks up so many copies of himself within this one point of time. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I love the. I love the concept of near time travel where you go back and you exist in the previous timeline and the whole concept of should I see myself if I see myself will my future change like all that stuff Mm -hmm. I think is incredibly interesting and I think what this one is interesting is that nobody ever travels back right like when they do a near travel back to the future type of thing like he just stays in that timeline right there mm-hmm. is no getting back in the machine and moving forward he's just like well i went back i went back an hour i'll just continue living in this timeline yes which the the travel back and then continued life back through that point i love following that in any time they do that because you think about it it's like that's when you get into that these things have already happened because of the person living them has mm-hmm. already done these things mm-hmm. because it is all one contiguous stream of you know events and a causal loop of things that are happening right right um one one element that i think is really interesting i'm only i don't want to deviate too much from talking about this movie but just because we're talking about different versions of this a movie that does the past and future timelines and things like that really interestingly is Looper. Have you guys seen Looper? Which I have not seen. I yeah, have never I have. taken the uh-huh. time to watch it. Okay. So it's it's really good in the first half. The second half is good as well, but in a different way. The first half is very heavy on the, like, I'll just explain a little bit of the premise. Do you know, have you seen much of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I know I know the premise, I just have not watched it. So for anybody listening who has not seen or heard of Looper, essentially the idea is that in the future, time travel will be invented, but in the present, it has not yet been invented. In the future, they use it to kill people because everybody in the future basically has like a tag on their body, and so murder would be much easier to be found out if you killed somebody in the future. But if you send them to the past and you kill them there, then you're basically scot-free. So there's this group of hitmen who specifically only kill the people that get sent back from the future. And part of the deal is that they know at some point in the future, they will be one of the people that gets sent back and gets killed. So when that happens, like they basically get their last kill. Sometimes they kill themselves, sometimes they don't. But they basically get like a huge payday. 
that's their last hit they live for 30 more years and then they know they're gonna die so it's like this like self prophesying thing mm-hmm. where like you just the, you'll close your own loop basically so then the premise of looper is someone who is supposed to kill themselves and then their person gets away and like they're competing basically against each other <laughs> to try to kill one another but like the older one is like I can't really kill him because then I'll stop existing and then the young one's like I have to kill him in order to get this paid like it's very an interesting yeah causality type of thing that we're talking about with time crimes. I, I've been listening to the blank check podcast and they do a bit on there that is just simplifying movies into the what if terms and <laughs> just listening to the description of looper it's what if there was a guy that didn't kill himself <laughs> <laughs> Um, back to time crimes. Uh, just uh, sorry for yes. diverting us. No, no, um, no. Um, so I actually I was looking this up. Did you realize that the director and writer yeah. is also the doctor or the not doctor, but the guy who mans the time machine? Yeah, the amateur time. Yeah, tech. I love yeah. it. I he was great. I mean, I, it's it's a four person cast. Yep. Everybody does so well um, because the, it's really great when um watching a movie in another language and still being able to pick up on inflection things and writing things within the dialogue because like when he the scene where uh hector and uh the uh, time machine because we never learned his name the scientist no um, i don't think so, so when when the scientist and hector are talking on the walkie talkies he it almost sounds like his dialogue is very wooden and bad. Uh, but it, and I wondered if that's what they were doing. Cause then we get into that because it very much, it's him just trying to come up with a reason to get him up there into the mm-hmm. time machine because Hector <laughs> two has told him to get Hector one into the time machine. And I really, really love that. The dialogue, when you see it's all planting and payoff and time travel right. movies, when done correctly, are the perfect vehicle for planting and payoff. And it's, they do it so well within this movie because they set up so many little things that then you see, but you see the payoff before the planting, which is always really fun with time travel movies. Something I really liked uh, about this one was within that first time stream, when Hector one is still experiencing things as our main viewpoint and the man with bandages, which, you know, pretty quickly is him. Like you pick mm-hmm. up on that. Yeah. Um, cause they, they also show, cause you know, he wears his red wedding ring on his right hand. And I just, you notice that they don't linger on it, but his hands are visible early in the movie. And then, when he first looks at him holding the scissors, that was the first thing I noticed was that his wedding ring was on his right hand. Um, so they make that very clear from the get go, but it is very like, it is scary at the beginning. Like when he is looking through the binoculars and Hector turns at him or Hector two turns at him with his hands up on his eyes. Like I was like, shit, man, like Mm -hmm. that is, scare and then it's played for laughs in the Hector 2 timeline right because he can't get the timing down he just knows it's coming at some <laughs> point 
I love too the idea that like he knows after he like kind of understands the first wave, he knows he'll get it. Right? Like mm-hmm. he knows he knows at some point he's gonna get the right timing and that someone will see him and he'll get scared. All he has to do is just like execute. And that I think is an interesting idea where he's like, Oh, I already know exactly what to do because I've already experienced myself doing this. Yeah, and and that's that's so much of this movie, and it really rewards you as a viewer because it, it's all these things that are low key, like in Hector Two, in Hector Two, when the white car gets rear-ended and thrown off the road, I was like, "Huh, weird that that car just nailed it and uh, mm-hmm. rammed it off the road." I'm like, "Cool, whatever." And then as soon as they you see the red van in the garage, it's like, of course, of course he came back and rammed himself off the road. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very, very rewarding, and it's just... I loved this movie. I This was my first time watching it. It is a very structurally similar to Primer. Really dug it. Right. Yep. And I think we were we were debating between whether or not to put primer on this episode or not mm-hmm. obviously i think we're big fans of primer right have you seen did you have you seen primer before i have not it's you, right up your alley you should watch You'd primer really like it. it's very good um add it to the list but it is one of those movies that i watched get... primer i'm sorry i'm gonna jump in i watched primer with ryan king uh in the first six weeks that i lived in kansas city where i was just crashing at his place and I didn't have anything to do. I was like, hey, man, I've heard a lot about this movie. You want to watch it with me? He's like, yeah, sure, okay. And then we're sitting there, and we're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real mind fuck. But it is, I would agree with you, it's very spiritually in line with time crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we didn't talk about it on this episode, it is something that you should definitely check out. Yes. So do you guys have any other notes on time crimes? No. All right. So our next movie, I believe, is Riley's pick. Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. I just could not remember who picked it. We were talking about Edge of Tomorrow next. The the Dark Souls of time travel movies. (laughs) (laughs) Riley, why don't you cue this one up for us? What did you think about this one? How is it structured? Give us a little bit. Yeah. So this one is more... uh, This was a... I have not seen this one before. Um... And I think I was the only one out of us that hadn't yet. No, this was my first time. Too. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, in terms of time travel, this is the this is more of the Groundhog Day conundrum. Um, Tom Cruise is rarely, or not rarely, but in rare form, in rare a form. piece of shit to start this movie off. Just an absolute worm. Yeah, um, he's a deserter in the military, um, gets assigned, you know, to be, to go to the front lines of Normandy 2042. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really like, sorry, no, I'll No, go you, ahead, go ahead. I, well, I just wanted to say, I really liked that this was set, because I didn't realize it was set on a real world, an, a f- near future Earth 
story. I thought it was another planet or just a totally like created reality, you know, for the narrative. But then when I realized it, it was set on Earth, it really kind of changed how I perceived the movie. I was like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different than I expected. And I, because I more thought it would be like a Groundhog Day Starship Troopers when it is very much not that. Right. This is a movie I think that really. I mean, the fact that it has two names, right, speaks to the marketing mistakes that were made with this. Yeah, movie. technically three names because <laughs> it's based on a manga called All You Need Is Kill. That explains the sword. Is it? Is yes. it really? No, that that is not a bit. That is true. Okay. <laughs> yes, you've got. Edge of Tomorrow, you've got Live, Die, Repeat, and then sometimes it's, it's written as both, like Edge of Tomorrow, colon, slash, Live, Die, Repeat. Um, yeah, just a, th- this movie should have, in my opinion, should have been a blockbuster. It had all the right people. Uh-huh. It had a great plot. It had, um, you know, an incredible, like, special effects budget and story Mm -hmm. like it should have been a banger and i I want to talk about uh because i don't know where this falls within his career but i mean i feel like the king of the blockbuster now or the king of the modern action blockbuster is christopher mcquarrie and i think he is the x factor that makes modern action movies something special when he is attached from a, from he a didn't direct this one, but yeah. he was um, he was involved in writing it. Well, he was and also so, involved in the Mummy, the Tom Cruise Mummy. Yeah, but I mean that was he had to play within a framework of establishing a new universe. Yeah, no, I mean I, I hear what you're saying though. This is directed by Doug Lehman, but Edge of Tomorrow had heavy notes of McQuarrie and the the McQuarrie crews team right yes are, are very fun like you've got um you've got edge of tomorrow you've got jack reacher you've got basically all of the um, i mean mission mission impossibles Impossible. starting i think i think mccrory gets involved technically in four but i think he was maybe a little bit involved in three even though he didn't know four it. was somebody else um that i think four was brad bird uh i believe you let me check McQuarrie might have been on writing his first credit was Rogue Nation 2015 Uh, okay okay because I think Ghost Protocol was Brad Bird right yes you're right okay and and you're right that McQuarrie actually didn't wasn't involved at all so I'm wrong um and he obviously again um, we mentioned it earlier, and uh, Kaczynski should get all of that credit for the big sweeping views in Top Gun Maverick. But Macquarie was also attached to that one in screenplay and production. And I think, like, there is something very special about those two working together. Like, yeah. it's a director that fully gets that, oh, I'm working with an insane person, but this <laughs> insane person loves making movies yeah so let's do a quick rundown of mccrory since we're on it so writer he wrote the usual suspects mission impossible fallout mission impossible rogue nation 
Edge of Tomorrow, Top Gun Maverick, Jack Reacher, unfortunately The Mummy, The Tourist, Valkyrie, Jack the Giant Slayer, Way of the Gun, which I, I just picked up recently. I haven't seen that's, it yet. Is that the Redford one? Oh, no, that's Old Man and the Gun. Yeah, no, Way of the Gun is uh, Benicio Del Toro, oh, Ryan yes. Felipe. Um, anyways, and then he's also going to do both Mission Impossibles. So that's a him as a writer. Mm-hmm. Him as a director and is less. He's only done... I, I didn't realize he was attached to Usual Suspects. Yeah, he wrote it. Yeah. That's so interesting to me. From a director's there's, standpoint... there's such a gap between that and the rest of the stuff on his career. Yeah. Like, time-wise. Yeah, let me search by release date. You've got Public Access, which I don't know what that is. 1993, Usual Suspects, 1995, Way of the Gun, 2000, Valkyrie is 2008. I guess there's not that much of a gap Tourist is 2010, Jack Reach is 2012. So, I mean, it's like basically every two years. But there is like Usual Suspects is 1995, Way of the Gun is 2000, Valkyrie, Valkyrie is 2008. So, I mean, like there's like five to eight year gaps between those. But then mm-hmm. once it gets to it the was- 20 aughts... It moved was Valkyrie fast. his first collab with Tom Cruise? Yes. I mean, so he and he and Tom Cruise have done one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven for sure, and then they're going to do the next two Mission Impossible's. I have an idea for a new episode. Uh, we'll talk more about it, but uh, we should absolutely do like director actor pairings so we mm-hmm. each pick one of somebody who works with the same actor over and over again yeah. uh but yeah i it's so how lucky do you think mcquarrie felt when he like met tom cruise and started <laughs> working with him he's like this is my guy like this is who i'm hitching my cart to well it's gotta be awesome because you can just set the bar as high as you can think and tom's gonna be like yeah let's do it let's do it yeah, yeah. Like, Listen, I will I'll... drive a motorcycle off a cliff for you. Absolutely, my friend. I want to have you. I want to have you base jump um, with no parachute. Like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Just the um, very energetic Tom Cruise response. Uh, Emily terrific, Blunt really terrific. great in this movie. She was yeah, great. Switching switching back to actual uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Let's set. let's shine the light on the oh, true star yes. of this movie. Yes. And that is oh one Bill Paxton. Oh, man. This made me so, like, it is so great to see him in this role, but it is so bittersweet because you then have to reckon with and think about an entire late age, late career Paxton doing roles like this, man. Yeah. Like, unbelievable stuff. And he, this, he's so good in everything. But this is an X factor for him. This is something special that he really unlocks with this performance. And imagine if we had gotten so many more Paxson roles of this type. Definitely. Yeah. You know what I love about this movie? One, they let Bill Paxson do the same lines over and over again. <laughs> yes. Um, and the, my favorite one, I really want to kind of get a t-shirt on it that says, tip of the spear, edge of the knife, crack of my ass. And like, yeah. just, <laughs> just incredible. That whole, 
that whole speech of getting Tom Cruise of like, you're going to fucking die out there. Yeah. But you're going to do it for the honor of the, you know, fighting for. It's not even America. Like, it's no, like it's, a multi It's the world military. Yeah. 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 Dying for the I, UN. I need to look up. I, I'm just going to pull up a whole list of Paxton quotes from this movie because they're so good. The Google search is coming back. Here we go. Let's see. <laughs> Master Sergeant Farrell, you're an American. No, sir, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> the Yes. Oh, man. The, uh, the battle is the great redeemer. It is the fiery crucible in which true heroes are forged. The one place where all men sh- truly share the same rank, regardless of what kind of parasitic scum they were going in. What day is it for you? Judgment Day. <laughs> just so much. It's just incredible. I, I love. I mean, Paxton is a future episode for us too. There, I could talk about Bill Paxton for hours, but I shouldn't because we have this movie and another movie to talk about. Yeah, I but I really like. I really love the construction of this movie and really it is contrived character development, but it works because you just watch this absolute sniveling little guy who is sending other people to go die for him and then trying to get out of any type of blame being placed on him for it, then being thrust into it and having to adapt to the role and reckon with the weight of his whole career that he's built up to this point. It's, oh, it's phenomenal stuff from Cruz. Yeah. I just think it's such a, I mean, the plot of this movie is great, right? I know we were talking about time travel, so we should probably talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about how this fits in. Riley covered it very well in saying that this is a a movie that does the Groundhog Day, Roguelite, Dark Souls version of being alive. Um this, it, it's focusing on <laughs> the an dark alien. souls of being alive. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, the, focusing on an alien invasion where the aliens seem to know everything that's coming, and they have that power of being able to reset the day anytime someone dies in order to continue beating them and beating them, you know, all the way through. And they inherit that ability. Tom Cruise gets that ability when he kills a mimic, and then he's able to reset the day. Ty, you had texted us something about this film, just about how clear and hard the rules were for this yes. movie. I'd yes. love to hear and your it, take on this it. This was the first one I watched for this podcast, and that was a while ago. But what I what I really like about this movie is it's like, okay, cool. Did it bleed on you? Yes. Okay, that explains why you're experiencing this. Can you still do it? No, I can't because I got hurt and got a blood transfusion, so I can no longer do it. Fully explaining the entire set of rules. This mm-hmm. is how it started. This is how it works, and this is how you lose it. And so all of the stakes are set entirely there throughout the entire movie. And it doesn't feel contrived or... No, overly like you know what I mean, like overly explaining. Like you're like, oh, that's what I needed to know, and they do show it before they talk about it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it is. I agree with you. I think it's just a. 
such a smart way of doing it. Because, <clears throat> like, stuff like uh, Groundhog Day is never really explained, right? Like, in Groundhog mm-hmm. Day, do they even are they even able to articulate why he keeps waking I don't... up the same day every day? No. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think... It is... The only rule you get with Groundhog Day is basically it is implied that once he gets it right, then he moves on. Right. It's more like a moralistic stuck mm-hmm. in this time loop type of but thing. But there is no there's no set of rules he's operating under. Right. Right. Um something else I really like about this is um you have like all the bureaucracy of like a giant army that goes into it too. So you have like the main commander that's like nowhere near the front. <clears throat> he's just I mean he is trying to make good militaristic decisions. But he's also, like, just trying to save his ass, you know what I mean, at the mm-hmm. same time, too. So, like, it, it's just this interesting thing of, like, Tom Cruise was big shit and then just becomes a cog in the wheel. And so then you mm-hmm. get all these views of the war. You get the top and you get the what it's like for the grunts on the bottom. Um, and then, like, to have to continue living that, like, he becomes, he has all this growth, similar to, like, a Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. where he you know it can't fight at all when he goes in and then becomes like this badass soldier because he's just essentially training over and over and over again i mean the first third of this um very much feels like it kind of feels verhoven that was another thing i texted you like because it is it kind of dives more into the sci-fi thing or the time travel thing and then kind of generic action movie towards the final act of it but that first act very much is like you know it's very similar to starship troopers it you know like the verhoven approach to clearly in the first act it it's reckoning with a lot of the fact that tom cruise is sending all of these people off to die and he does not have to deal with the results of that he Mm -hmm. he can sleep perfectly fine at night it does not bother him in the slightest he's like hey i'm doing a great thing for our country or for our world and sending all these people to enlist and directly to their deaths so you get some of that anti-war anti not really anti-imperialism but the very anti-war sentiment throughout there kind of the haves and the have-nots too the haves and the have-nots it's the people taking advantage of you know the, the people who do not have the resources and their only option is to go into the military. And right. it is it really, really dives in on that in a similar way to Verhoeven does with Starship Troopers. And it's great. I, I yeah, love it. Yeah, it's a great point. Riley, it, what I else? wish it had kept more of it. But, you know, to tell the story they want to tell, you have to move in a different direction. That's just yeah. not what yeah. the focus of this movie was. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at after finishing it. Um, I think I definitely enjoyed more of the time ta- travel, or you know, the, maybe the first half more than the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, the first I think half up definitely until felt, he loses it. Yeah, like it, I mean, it feels. I like the. I don't know. I just like the feel of the first half, because uh, I feel like the second half kind of turns more into a. Uh, Especially the last act there, it turns into kind of the, I can never remember which Matrix it is, but, because these, 
aliens are essentially sen- sentinels. You know, yes. from the Matrix. Oh, 100% so just the sentinels. I feel like those that last 30 minutes, it it kind of turns into just the scene, the battle for Zion. In the resurrection. Right. Or not resurrection. Um, The last one. The third one. Right. When they, then they're yes. all in the mechs and revolution. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's it. It is very reminiscent of that final act of revolutions. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this one? Before I, take uh, a look at I had to sit there and Go convince ahead. myself that the doctor, uh, was not Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Who was the actual doctor? It was Noah Taylor. Hmm. Oh. He, what else is he in? I mean, he has seen right. Oh, okay. Well, I was gonna say while you're looking that up, my my last thing I wanted to say is that they really play with the um, the concept of him dying and then starting a new loop. They they really play it for laughs a lot of the time, which I really like. Yeah, like him doing this carefully, like calculated roll underneath the truck, <laughs> and then completely missing it. And he wakes. Up, and the punchline is always him waking up, and it's so good. It's so good another great time. Bill Paxton reaction there. <laughs> Just watching Tom Cruise get crushed by a car. <laughs> I recognized uh, Noah Taylor from The Life Aquatic, but he's a way down the billing in Life Aquatic. He's just one of the crew with the beanies, and he's got a mustache. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's let's start to wrap things up. Let's talk about Coherence, which, Jeff, this was your pick, a movie I turned you on to a few years ago because I heard about this one. I have to shout him out. Um, because speci- I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but A to Z Horror has renamed their, uh, I think we might have talked about it, their final segment of recommending a movie to somebody is now to whom the hell would we recommend this? Or to <laughs> whom the hell? Because Jack was very adamant that who the hell is this for? You can't end on a preposition, but he <laughs> loved the idea. So that's their new final segment. Uh, thanks, guys. But full circle, I first heard about Coherence from their podcast, watched it, absolutely loved Coherence, and got very much pushed that on other people to try and get them to watch it. So, Jeff, this was your pick. So give us a brief rundown on what the, you know, just intro us on Coherence. Right. So Coherence is is much more the converging multiverses than any kind of specific time travel. No, none of the characters um, travel forward or backward in time, but they do sort of merge realities and or sort of um, interact with their other selves. Um, this is a movie, like Ty said, that, that you turned me on to. This is a movie that has become like one of my favorites. So this is a yeah. this is a multi-time-a-year rewatch when I'm just like, I just want to watch something kind of mind fucky you know what i mean and just like kind of zone out a little bit um it's so smart it is an incredible um it's incredibly done i i was getting away from the plot i'll tell you what the plot is so essentially coherence is a dinner party that takes place on the night of 
basically a meteor shower. Um, that's or it's, I think it's just a single. Well, meteor. not. It's just that ha- uh, Halley's comet Halley's is going comet. to be passing by Earth. Right. Is and it Halley's so, or Halley's? I always forget. Uh, it's one of those. Uh, there's a comet. It's got I think a name. it's Halley's comet. <laughs> I've always called it Halley's comet as well. Um, I'm sure I remember which one they said on uh, Hey Arnold. So Halley's comet is going to go over. There's basically like every time this comet comes around, there's strange occurrences that are associated with it, and they're kind of talking about that at the dinner party. It's and all so, introed by one of the guys. He has a brother who is extremely into stuff like this. Right, right. And so at this dinner party, there's essentially a series of cascading events. They lose power. They're wearing glow sticks in order to kind of illuminate their dinner party. They've got candles, things like that. And then um, as part of trying to solve, you know, having no power, they try to go to another house and contact somebody so they can use the phone. And that's essentially the first time they sort of leave their dinner party house and that the party breaks up and that not everybody is together. And then what kind of happens throughout the rest of the movie is that you find out that people are not returning back to their same house. It's not their same selves that they're talking to. So essentially at the end, you've got all these different combinations of houses and people in those houses. And we're kind of following the main, (coughs) excuse me, the main character, which is M. Mm -hmm. And she is trying to sort of at the end, this is obviously spoilers, she's trying to find a house that she can be happy in and can go into and pretend like she's been there the entire time with mm-hmm. a version of her friends and a version of her boyfriend that she feels confident can like she can return to her her happy life because if because she returned are, back to where she was she would not be happy that and she also like it's basically because there are infinite possibilities of the so there is a dark zone in the middle of this cul-de-sac essentially and when you pass through that zone that they describe as being darker than the rest, you they refer to it as a roulette wheel, and you are randomly spit back out into one of these other converging realities. At first, they think it's just one and one. There are two possible realities. And the more they talk about it and dive into it, they realize there is an almost infinite number of realities so that the likelihood of her getting back to her own timeline very very slim very minuscule but they really set it up in the beginning like that you know there's a lot of interpersonal drama between her her friends her boyfriend all these things and just very clearly not happy with where she's at right right so why i think this is such an interesting and potential fit for our time travel episode why we're talking about it at all is because it it plays with this idea of reality and the linear time experience that you might be having and even though again all of these houses are on the same timeline they're all going to the same dinner party it's all the same people there are different things that are happening at the parties there's different sort of personalities coming out of that so everybody Mm -hmm. is still a version of themselves but it's tweaked a little bit the why i think it fits really well within time travel is because the events within each timeline happen in different order. And Correct. some things some things never happen. Some things happen much earlier. Um, some things also be- take longer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, you get an and, example and be- of one guy coming back, and you know, I, I forget what the occasion was, but he's like, what do you mean it I was, was gone for like 45 minutes? Yeah, he's like, like, dude, you were in and out five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So you get some of that nice time dilation stuff. Uh, the So there two things. I talk, I texted you guys about this, but two pieces of trivia that I really, really love in this movie are one, that it was mostly improv, which is insane. That's uh, they, The director wanted to put together... He, he had a lot of theater background and then had worked on some... Uh, he worked on Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, so he had worked on big blockbusters, uh, and he's like, I like, I like just this, the very stripped down, the actor and the interpersonal interactions telling a story, and so that's what he wanted to do with this. He wanted to get actors who did not know each other, and they all got their direction um, for the day shoot Blair Witch style, so they got secret notes, essentially, that were for their eyes only. And you had conflicting directions, such as uh, one of the characters attempting, it said, his note was, you have to leave the house. And then M's note, I believe it was M, was, um, oh, it might have been Lee, actually, but it's, do not let him leave the house, was her note. And so you have a lot of those very natural interpersonal interactions because of things like that. Also... Apparently the comet was shot practical, but they have they have not revealed how they did it. But the the effect for creating the comet effect going overhead, it wasn't a shot of an actual comic comet. It was a practical effect that they created and filmed. Hmm. Interesting. No idea what it was though. That's very cool. So Riley, this was your first viewing, correct? Yeah. What did you think of this one? Um and you can say you didn't like it just because we really liked it. <laughs> no, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. Um, I did not enjoy the way it was shot. Um, Fair. Also, get that the audio sounded a little tin canny. Like I don't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I don't know if it was my version or whatever I watched on Amazon. No, I mean it was shot for super cheap, fifty thousand total, I think. Yeah. So. It was a little. I'd say like the first thirty minutes or so were just a little jarring, or you know, took a little to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once things kind of started going off the rails, and you start to realize that, you know, like Hugh and whoever, when they come back, that's not them. The um, yeah, I the loved, Hugh and I loved, loved, loved the. Uh, the green marker reveal mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. like oh just go look, look back at what we wrote down and she's like oh yeah and she flips back and it's green not red mm-hmm. um that was a lot of fun what the hell is that um i so yeah, kind it, of it on that same good. note one of my favorite favorite props whatever use of props is the glow stick uh-huh. because the Everybody, you know, it's first it's brought in very casually and they just happenstance crack open this box of blue glow sticks. And then when they and they don't talk about it, everybody just has them. They have other sources of light. Everybody just happens to have them. And then when they walk out into the neighborhood and they see this group 
and then it focuses on them a little bit and they all have red glow sticks chilling mo absolutely bone chilling moment yeah yeah that and the first reveal which i think rather you already talked about this the first reveal that the other two guys are not from that house when they pull out like and they're talking to each other and they Mm -hmm. have the wrong color glow stick and they're like fuck you know what i mean right yeah that's when they realize what's happening before anybody else does and i love i love that element too i love the idea that there's this mystery that people find out at different speeds mm-hmm. and then that influences like what we see them try to do like as they go on you know and they're like we have to get the fuck out of this house um i like that and then obviously the end is also yeah incredible all-timer um, ending shot for me i right. think that's absolutely phenomenal right not only the breaking into the house and the killing of herself but then the next morning when she's like did i get away with it and then she's like oh it looks like i did and then he's like i'm getting a call from you and he picks up you know what i mean like uh-huh. that's yeah. just and there's no further dialogue it's just his face and it's i i also have learned that my favorite way to end a movie is not with a neat bow, right? My favorite mm-hmm. way to end a movie is with a new question or like a, Oh fuck. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that's something I think that indie films seem to do more of, right? Is they're more comfortable being like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like we don't have, we're not going to film this five minute epilogue, right? Like we're just going to end it, but it's always, it seems to be more, cliffhanger's the wrong word but you know what i mean like ambiguous ambiguous yeah when you don't have a studio breathing down your neck to package it and get it out to as many people as possible you can be more ambiguous with it which i mean one of the all-time best endings in horror is the ending of the thing which is very ambiguous yeah right Um, Something else I wanted, I thought of from trivia, two other things. Uh, So Riley, you talked about the style that it was shot and the director did, and not necessarily saying, oh, this makes it good. This makes it bad. But the director, it was a very specific choice to shoot um, very kind of free flowing and almost shaky cam because it allowed him to react to what was happening within the room where they were filming. Um, so it's, you know, your mileage may vary on how much that lands with you, but it is an interesting conscious decision to make. And then Amir that, you know, the guy that disappears with Hugh, uh, and is one of the two who comes back being wrong. Amir was the mole because he was the co-writer for the movie. And so if everybody was getting a little off track or heading in the wrong direction, it was Amir's job to kind of steer them into the next plot point. <laughs> I gotcha. Which knowing that, uh, because so I read all that trivia before rewatching today, and knowing that you definitely see that in a few scenes where Amir starts to really take control of the conversation. So I thought it was it was so interesting. How it I mean, I think this movie should be studied just because it's a very there is a lot of unique approaches to filmmaking within it. And I think if they land with you, it makes an incredible movie. Yeah, I would agree. I think Do you guys have. Oh, go I, ahead, Jeff. 
No, I was just going to say, I think the other thing I really like about this movie is even though there's clearly like a main protagonist, this does feel like a very ensemble, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the power comes from, I mean, obviously the power comes from the idea, right? But all the dialogue like, like really helps it move along and it does feel, it feels almost a little bit like a play, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could, you could probably, you could probably do this. With some creative, with some creative set changes, and not even set changes, but some adaptation to the set, and uh, scene entrances, scene changes. I think you could make a stage play out of this. Yeah, and I think it'd be really. It probably would end up being more like a, like a Shakespearean, like, uh, oh fuck, what am I trying to say? Like mistaken identities. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they'd, pro- they'd probably play it a little bit more slapstick if you were going to do this on like a play. Like they come in and they're a different version of themselves or something, but I, I just thought that there was such a a cool. I really liked the way that this was built. I totally get where Riley you're coming from on the way it's shot. I agree. It's it's it looks very indie. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it looks very low budget. I think what I like about it is what it's able to accomplish in that restriction. Sure, for sure. Um, and how well a story they're able to tell with almost no effects at all. So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the story. I mean, the story's great. Um, yeah. Those were just I also qualms. Sure, sure. I sure. really like uh, because I really like the mystery presented by the box and the the numbers on the pictures, and it's like there's no sequence. This doesn't make sense, and then there is a point where nobody even mentions it yet, but then you start to think of the idea of random probability and you are, you look at those numbers and you're like, Oh, those are only one through six. This is clearly somebody rolling a die. And if you, it's very rewarding when that suggestion comes up later because they do plant a little bit of that earlier in the movie, just with mm-hmm. the idea of how do we do something that's totally random. Mm-hmm. Right. I also like the uh, one character that is just Will Forte. <laughs> is that Mike? Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys have a favorite member of the cast or a favorite character within this? Cause I have an answer. I mean, I don't Mike know if I really probably, did. Mike is probably the most entertaining, mm-hmm. um, but I think I think the main or who you of, think did the best job. Maybe I that's think the a main character example. of M is okay. is for me the best. Yeah, mm-hmm. and for I me, agree. I'm actually I'm gonna say Hugh because I think Hugh like he brings a lot of presence to that role and feels very lived in, like the bearded I, guy. The yeah, the, yeah, the bearded cuck. Uh, but no, he. There's a lot of, lot of presence within that scene. He is very clearly the bigger guy, like the biggest guy in this friend group, and it reads that way. Like he's not intimidating, but there is an intimidating air to him. Uh, but he's just he's very engaging whenever he's on screen. Yeah. No, I would. I think that's a good. That's a good pick as well. But M also does a very, very good job. So before we wrap up, do you guys have anything else you want to say about Coherence? Um, it's in my top four at the top of Letterboxd. Is it? Because, yeah, just because 
this is this exhibits the type of movie that I love. And if anybody can recommend additional things exactly in this vein, I will watch all of them. Like the psychological thriller, potentially small budget, doesn't have to be, but where it plays with this philosophical what's it mean to be alive, what's it mean to experience reality, like that is my shit to a T for sure. So I'm really glad we finally got an episode where we could talk about coherence. I know, I am too. We've been talking about talking about coherence for years. Yeah. So finally we did. Uh, well, that brings us right up to the end of our episode. We don't really have much else to cover tonight, but once again, everybody, uh, consider donating to a worthy cause. Things are bad everywhere out there. And again, I say that if you can spare it, because also that's another issue that everybody is dealing <laughs> with. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've had a great time talking about time travel. It's a phenomenal little subgenre. And uh, we will be back again, possibly even later this month, with another episode. Uh, if not, we will see you in July. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's the power of love. <laughs>